This would be the time there'd normally be a, a video with Matt's soothing voice telling us about our series. Um, but you know what? It's interesting today because we're going to be talking about worship and what worship means. And um, it's kind of, I know it's stressful, you know, so don't, don't get me wrong here, tech folks and, and worship team members. I know it's stressful, but sometimes it's good to just strip away all the extra stuff, to recognize that, that we can worship God without technology that we can worship God without microphones even. If this thing goes out, I'll shout, and, and we'll still do church. Um, but uh, it's, it's a reminder of like, worship is not just some performance or something we do on Sunday. It's deeper than that. We're actually going to talk about that today. Um, we're finishing our series. Uh, it's a Thanksgiving series. I'm going to put my glasses on uh, so that I can actually read this. Um, it's a Thanksgiving series uh, that we've been doing. And, and just a quick recap on the series. Um, uh, week one, we talked about, you know, Thanksgiving in general. Uh, what does it mean to give thanks for the gifts that God has given us? And to move beyond just thanks for what he's given us and give thanks for the giver of the gifts himself. That we look to God's attributes, his goodness, that he never changes. No matter what our circumstances are, we can give thanks uh, for who God is and what he's done in our lives. Uh, and then we talked about how that gratitude ultimately leads to worship. And that's what we're going to spend our time talking about today. What does it look like for our art? gratitude to overflow into worship in a, in a way that's, that's beyond just maybe words that we pray or songs that we sing. Um, last week, uh, we talked about finding gratitude even in the midst of our darkest times, in the midst of tragedy. Um, and we talked about how we train ourselves in the good times so that we can be spiritually prepared um, to, to offer gratitude to God even when times are bad. And we talked about how we don't, we don't lie to ourselves. We don't give thanks to God for the tragedies but we give thanks to God for the ways that he shows up in the midst of the tragedy. How he brings beauty from ashes, the Bible says. How he's present with us, how he comforts us, even in the midst of the worst times in our life. This week, like I said, I want to talk about what does it look like to live a life of worship. That out of our deep gratitude, we worship God with our lives, our actions. And, and, and this week, we're going to start exactly where you think I was going to start. That's right, with some celebrity gossip. How many of you have heard the, the, the drama surrounding pop star, actress, style icon, Selena Gomez? Anybody? Okay. Two of us, three of us, three of us right here. Okay. You're with me. Okay. Now, Selena Gomez is a very famous person and she's a star of one of the shows that, that my wife and I really like. But uh, if you didn't know, she received a kidney donation from a close friend of hers. And uh, it was a pretty amazing, touching story. Uh, you know, I had a picture to share where it's the two of them in the hospital beds about to do this operation where a kidney would go from the friend to her. She has lupus, and that leads to organ damage. And it was a really touching and beautiful story until this, this good friend of Selena Gomez, uh, her name is Francia. She, oh, there it is. It's in the back, but if you want to look in the back, there they are. It's cute. It's adorable. Uh, and online, you can probably see this, right? Until after the, the surgery was done and Francia, who's also an actress and uh, is, is kind of uh, working on her own career in Hollywood, um, saw all the tabloids where Selena was out partying and drinking and messing up this new kidney she got. And she wasn't too thrilled about that. And then there was rumors that Selena was tired of, of feeling indebted for this person who gave her, you know, life the gift of a kidney so she could survive. And there was just all this drama surrounding this. And I know you guys are on the edge of your seat wanting to know what happens next, right? 
And then recently, Selena, oh man, she, she really crossed the line. She did a post and she was like, you know what? In this, this business, this industry, I really only have one friend. Was it the one who gave me a kidney? No, it's Taylor Swift. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love Taylor too, it's okay. But here's the thing. This, this is a, a caricature of something crazy, and it's just celebrity gossip, and I know you really wanted to get your fix today. You don't even need to go to the grocery store and pick up a tabloid. But it, this story really struck me. As we've been going through this gratitude series, a person gave another person a kidney, and the person was like, I'm kind of tired of feeling grateful for that. I'd, re- I'd like to move on. Now, I don't know all the dynamics. I don't know what else is going on in their lives or their friendship. But the caricature of this story really sort of resonated with me. Um, because, because it demonstrates, you know, a lack of gratitude that seems really troubling. You know, here's the recipient of this, this gift, this, this, truly the gift of life, because this, this vital organ that one needs to survive, and now life can go on. But the problem is it seems like It seems like this person is saying, I'm the main character of the story. The gift giver is a side character. They're just a mere chapter in my story. So the gratitude can be temporary and eventually forgotten and I can move on with my life. Thank you for the gift that you give me so that I can now move on with my life, do my thing, and I'll call you when I need a liver. Uh, (laughs) And this can be true for us too. And when I see myself as the main character in the story of life, I can live as if others, as if God exists for me. Now, most of us would never say that. We'd never verbalize that. We'd never say it out loud. But even without knowing it, we can think and act as if that's true, as if I am the center of everything. And God's activity in my life is transactional. He gives me the gift. All the things that I need are right in the world, and I can move on to the next thing that will make me happy. But the Bible tells a different story. The Bible tells a story that God is the main character. The story is about him. We are the supporting actors. But this main character, God, is one who is self-giving. He's full of generosity. He freely gives good gifts that take many forms in our lives. And he's always clear that he wants us to mirror him, to be people of generosity ourselves. Our response to his goodness is to, is, not, is to give gratitude, but not just with words, but to give gratitude by pouring goodness into other people's lives. And so we're going to look at three passages today, and I'll call them out so you can look them up on your app or open them up in your, in your Bible. Three different passages today that give us an idea of some of the ways that our generosity can take shape into real-life, everyday, tangible worship for God. First, we're going to go through uh, Matthew 18, starting in verse 23. Matthew 18, starting in verse 23. Jesus has just told people, he's asked, how many times am I supposed to forgive someone who sinned against me? And he says this crazy thing. He says, seven times, 77 times, which is basically saying, forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive. And then he starts with this parable. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. 
He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay me back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. He went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. And then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant, he said, I canceled all of that debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, the master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother and sister from your heart. This is one of the many creative ways that Jesus makes a spiritual point, right? He uses an analogy, he uses a story to tell us what, it, what God is like, to tell us what God is up to in the world. And the lesson he wants us to see in this is that gratitude leads to grace. Uh, this, is, this is the point. If you're a person who takes notes, this is one of those key points to write down. Gratitude leads to grace. The lesson from Jesus' parable is pretty obvious. How can someone who has received grace and mercy refuse to share grace and mercy with others? It's hypocritical. It's exactly what I mentioned before. It's placing oneself at the center of the universe. So both the person that I owe the debt to and the person who owes a debt to me are side characters. They don't matter. They don't contribute to what I need or want. So I'm the main character. Nothing else is important but me. But this story... Um, if we dig a little deeper, it's more than just a one-for-one one analogy, right? Oh, you were forgiven a debt, so you should forgive someone who owes you a debt. It's actually deeper than that because Jesus used some numbers here that are really fascinating. He's trying to create a picture that makes people go, whoa, I see what you're saying now. If you were to do the math, if you owed a debt of 10,000 bags of gold, that would be measured at 10,000 talents. That's the Greek word, talents. 10,000 talents was the same of, as owing a debt of 200,000 years of a day laborer's wage. 200,000 years of one day laborer's wage. That's a lot of money. Some people did, did the math and they said, okay, if, if you took that at minimum wage, in, the, in the, the lowest minimum wage in the United States, and you did that math, it would be a debt of $3.4 billion dollars. So he's essentially saying the, person, the first person in the story, the first servant, has been forgiven a debt of $3.4 billion. But what is he owed? The servant also has a servant who owes him something. What is he owed? Well, he says it's a debt of 100 pieces of silver, which had been measured in denarii. 100 denarii would be equal to 100 days of a laborer's wage. So the estimate based on the lowest minimum wage in the U.S. right now would be about eleven dollars to $12,000. $3.4 billion, eleven dollars to $12,000. He's using these extreme figures to put things in perspective for us. And think about it. I mean, this person has sinned against me, sure. But every thought, every careless word, every deed I have ever done, I sinned against Jesus. Every single sin I've ever done, I sinned against Jesus. It's a debt in the billions, right? And this person has sinned against me in this situation, sure. They've sinned against me in a significant way. A hundred days wages is not a small amount, but it's nothing in comparison to what Jesus has done for me. How can I receive that much grace and then refuse to give grace to others? Now, let me uh, be clear 
I always include a caveat when I preach on something like this because it's important uh, that, that we don't abuse and misuse these, these passages. Some people like to use these passages of Scripture, um, especially people who tend to be abusive towards others, um, because they, they use these passages as a weapon. See, the Bible says you have to forgive me, so forgive me. Instead of accepting the consequences of their actions, truly repenting, they use these words to manipulate, rush forgiveness, rush reconciliation. And forgiveness doesn't always lead to reconciliation, at least not easy reconciliation. Forgiveness can be offered, but reconciliation may not be advised because the offending person may not be safe to be around. If that person goes back to the same old patterns that they were in before, those same abusive patterns, well, they're not truly repentant. And we do a disservice to people by pointing to these words and pushing people back into situations where they'll be continually abused and hurt over and over again. So let's make sure we don't try to make scripture into a weapon to control people. And sometimes the offense uh, that, that happens to people is so harmful that trust is, is nearly impossible to rebuild, and so the relationship is strained permanently. And I want to say this. We have to protect people in these situations. We can offer forgiveness to others and we can hope that those people for find forgiveness and peace with God. But we also don't need to rush reconciliation. It's important. We should never, let, uh, never twist scripture to force others into harmful situations because we want to rush forgiveness and reconciliation. Okay? Caveat aside. This, this, this puts things into perspective for us. This passage does. Right? We have been sinned against, but what, what this, when a person names their sin, and each of these people, they, they, they cry out, yeah, I owe you a debt. Have mercy on me. Right? They name their sin. They take responsibility, and they seek to make things right. When this happens, we see this through the lens of this principle. We, we say, look at how much I've been forgiven. How can I hold back grace when God has poured out so much grace on me? When we understand how much grace we've received, it helps us to be people of grace. It helps us to, to have right relationships with God and others. When we see the billions we've been forgiven, and when we put it in spiritual terms, the billions we've been forgiven, the sin, every single one we've been forgiven so that we can have reconciliation with God. When we see this, it helps us to see the possibility of healing and reconciliation all around us. One study um, that I read about this week, found that the most important factor in avoiding divorce for marriages was the mutual practice of gratitude. Gratitude has the possibility to heal relationships between God and us, but yes, between each other. Gratitude. Couples where both spouses regularly tell the other reasons they are grateful for them it tended to be the most consistent indicator of whether that couple would stay together long term. Gratitude is powerful. Look at what it can do, not just in our inner lives, but in our relationships. It impacts everything. And that's one way that, that worship comes from gratitude. It's worshipful to forgive others their sins because look at what God has forgiven us. Let's look at another passage of Scripture. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Starting in verse 6. The Apostle Paul says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. That's a farming term. If you don't understand farming, that's okay. It's talking about planting seeds and then reaping a crop, right? Whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each of you should give 
what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that, all, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplied the seed to the sower and bread for food will, will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. I love that. Through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Right there in verse 11, it calls out this truth. Gratitude leads to generosity. Gratitude leads to generosity. And then the flip side of that is that that generosity then leads to more gratitude, which then leads to more generosity. And I'm going to tell you what I mean by that. This this passage starts with helping us see God clearly. And it all starts there. all All of life really stems from who do you think God is? Because that's how we, we ultimately respond. This passage helps us to see God properly. God's storehouses are not limited. They never go empty. There is no supply and demand with God. He deals in abundance, as this passage says, not with scarcity. He is not stingy, but overflowing in generosity. When we see God this way, we see a God who cannot wait to pour out his generosity. And that's the truth. This is important. Because some of us, we have a view of God that's always waiting for the other shoe to drop. You don't have to raise your hand, but anybody in here kind of have that mentality, you know, I think things are going a little too well right now. Something bad's probably waiting around the corner. Anybody feel like that ever? And, and, and I, you know, we're wondering, when is God going to balance out this goodness with some hardship? But this passage gives us a different view of God. It tells us that he can and he wants to bless us abundantly. That is his posture toward us. And I want to be clear, this is not some magic formula. This is not some give-to-get philosophy, some sort of holy pyramid scheme that if, if, if you give to God, he will bless you. Paul is not talking about individuals only in this passage. He is. He's talking about us individually, but he's actually talking to a community here. Look at that last verse one more time. You will be enriched in every way so that you can give generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Gratitude leads to generosity, which leads to more gratitude, which leads to more generosity. And what that looks like in a community is this. Imagine a community where every single person in the community is looking to be generous. Every single person in that community is looking to see everyone else thrive. Every single person in the community is looking to meet the needs that pop up. Guess what? When that happens, the math is on our side. Our needs will be met, every single one of us. If we as a community commit to this type of generosity, needs will be met, and God's generosity will be put on display for each other and for the world around us. How do I know? Well, I've experienced this. And I could name a number of, of stories. I think I shared this uh, story when, when we were interviewing here, actually. Uh, but it's the one that was the first one of many where I saw God pour out his generosity in my life in, a, in ways I just didn't expect. I didn't see it coming. This was, um, oh, 11 years ago. Um, I was uh, uh, on my way to church one morning and uh, got rear-ended by a drunk driver on the highway and totaled my car. And 
between those medical bills and the medical bills for, for our kids at the time, uh, not having great uh, health insurance, not having great auto insurance, this turned into a serious financial hardship for us. So the insurance company was not going to cover the cost of all of this. It was going to be a total nightmare. We were going to be out thousands of dollars that we just didn't have. And I remember just being overwhelmed, like, I work really hard, Lord. I don't know what else I have to do to provide for my family. We're trying to do things the right way. We're trying to do things your way. And yet here we are in this circumstance. And I, I was just feeling sorry for myself. And the circumstances were rough. And one day, a friend of ours uh, handed us an envelope and said, hey, we, we were talking with some people who uh, are close with us, and we were just kind of, you know, groaning on your behalf and talking about how messed up your situation is, and they wanted to give you this. And in the, <laughs> this envelope that was handed to us was a check for $5,000, which more than covered what we needed to get through this season. Actually, it was almost exactly what we needed to get through that season. And there was a card, it was an anonymous gift, but there was a card in there with a quote of, of uh, Matthew chapter 6 where Jesus says, God will take care of your needs. You don't have to worry about how God is going to provide because he's going to take care of your needs. And that was something we were trying so hard to believe, and then here it was right there in our hands. A check that may as well have been written by God himself. It was incredible. It was incredible the generosity that these people had experienced and we think we figured it out. We're pretty good uh, detectives. We figured out who did it. But the generosity that these people experienced, they knew it was from the Lord. And they wanted to pass it on. They were grateful for all they had been blessed with. And so they wanted to pass that on in generosity. And their generosity led to our giving thanks. Because God came and he rescued us in that time. And I want to tell you something. That changed us forever. We went from that point of recognizing, yeah, we, we can't do this under our own strength. We won't always have the resources, but by God's strength, through community, he has taken care of us over and over again. And it took us from reluctant givers to what Paul talks about here as cheerful givers. We knew we weren't dealing with a God whose blessing would run out if we would try to hoard everything for ourselves. We knew that he'd surrounded us with people who have seen his generosity and are committed to mirroring that generosity to others. Again, his posture towards us is that he can and he wants to provide for us and bless us. And from that, his posture for us becomes our posture towards others. Again, this plays itself out in the real world. Just this week, I read articles from Berkeley uh, and from Christianity Today. A secular version of this and a, a religious version of this where they examined research on gratitude. Both articles discussed that studies have shown over and over again that those who practice gratitude are the most generous people. And gratitude, again, it's not just a spiritual principle. It's an act of worship that looks like real generosity in the lives of others. I want to say this today. This is a congregation that understands that principle. We have a benevolence fund specifically to help those who are in need. Because we believe the words of this passage that we just said. And right now we're able to help replace the furnace of somebody in our congregation who didn't have any heat in their home. And, and if there is a need in this community, we want to know about it because we want to help meet that need. Nobody should go without the basic necessities, and we want to help. So if that's you or somebody you know, please don't hesitate to come to talk to me or any of our elders. We would love to hear what's going on and find a way to help in your life because we believe this to be true. We want to be generous because God has been so generous to us. One more passage I want to share with you today. 
And it's found in Matthew chapter 10, one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. And I won't read the whole thing. It's long. I'll summarize a little bit. Jesus here is sending 72 of his followers, and he's sending them out to all these different towns to proclaim good news. And he gives them a bunch of instructions, and he sends them out two by two. But I want to zoom in on a key observation uh, on his instructions, and it starts in Matthew 10, starting in, in verse 7 here. I want you to hear the last phrase of this passage today. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of God has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Freely you have received, freely give. Let's start again with what this verse tells us about God. It opens with the kingdom of heaven. This is the message we're, we're meant to proclaim. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Another way of saying this is the king of heaven has come near. In this verse, we see the very thing that we celebrate at Christmas, Jesus' incarnation, God becoming man. When we read the Gospels, I want to just remind you of this because this is so important to understanding the whole Bible. When we read the Gospels, what we see is the clearest picture of God that we can have. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you want to know what God is like, we read about Jesus in the Gospels. And what do we see when we see Jesus of the Gospels? We don't see an angry God who hates us, and he might let us into heaven by the skin of our teeth if it feels like it, or if we meet some list of requirements. What we see is a God who comes near. The kingdom of God has come near. We see a God who has come near, a God who pursues us, who loves us so much that he leaves his throne in heaven. To do what? To heal us. To bring us new life, resurrection. Save our bodies and souls. And this is what he calls us to participate when he sends us on mission. What, we're to do this. Why? Because freely we received, freely we must give. If God has set you free, if God has healed you, if he has saved you by his grace, freely you receive, now freely give. What am I saying? I'm saying that gratitude leads to mission. This is the thing I want to close with today. Gratitude leads to mission. Jesus is sending them out to do exactly what he did. He did. And he does with, with this, this with us too. He's telling us that we need to draw near to others like he did. To pray for them and with them for their healing, their spiritual healing, their physical healing, every area of their life, relational healing. We tell them the good news that Jesus is Lord, that he left his throne to heal us, to teach us, to die for us, to raise again from the dead that we might, uh, that, that we might taste new and eternal life. Think of it visually. Okay, I want to think about it visually. Imagine a bucket of water and a steady stream just continuing to pour into that bucket. And even though it's full, it just keeps pouring and it spills out everywhere. In the same way, God is continually pouring out good news into our lives and it never stops. The good news of Jesus Christ, of the kingdom of God, is that it's eternal. It never ends. It never stops flowing into our lives. It never stops being good news. And we don't put a lid on it for fear that the good news might run out because it never runs out. No, we let it overflow into the lives of others around us. Another way scripture put it, puts it is this way. We've been given an invitation, a ticket, an invitation to an amazing feast a banquet, a wedding party. That's what the kingdom of God is often described as. 
But God didn't just give you an invitation. He gave you an invitation and he gave you a copy machine so that you can keep duplicating that invitation and give it to anyone who's willing to accept it. Freely we've received this invitation and now freely we give. Gratitude leads to mission because when we realize how amazing God is, what he's done for us that we might know him, that we might have eternal life in him, we spread that invitation to anyone who will listen. And I want to close with this. This is something that I I was reading about this week. There's a really great book called Delighting in the Trinity. Delighting in the Trinity. It's a really good uh, kind of entry-level theology of the Trinity. Um, And I won't break it all down. I'm not going to try to explain the Trinity to anybody today. It's complicated, and it's it's a whole sermon or series of sermons. But but the scriptures tell us that God is is Trinity. He's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Um, One God revealed in three persons. It's very complex. We'll get into it another time. But what that tells us, the beauty of the doctrine of the Trinity is this. That before God ever created anything, he was a God of love. The Father has always loved the Son, who has always loved the Father and the Spirit. The Spirit has always loved the Father and the Son, and on and on it goes, right? There has been relationship. God has been a God of love since he ever created anything else to be loved. And it's out of this love between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that explodes into creation. God wants to share this love He wants to pour out his life in love onto this creation to invite all creation to participate in it. And when the creation got lost, when the creation didn't understand what it was meant for, the creation kind of turned its back on the life and love of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Father sends the Son. He sends the Son who's full of the Spirit. That's Jesus. That's the incarnation. And we're going to go through a ton of this over the next season of Advent. We're going to talk about what it was like to wait on Jesus and what it means that God sent him. And what it means is that God never stops pursuing us. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. God, the Father sent the Son full of the Holy Spirit. The Son lived the life we were supposed to live. He taught us what it meant to truly be who God created us to be. He died on the cross and forgives us of our sins. He was raised from the dead, and now we can have eternal life. And then he ascended to the Father, where the Father and the Son sent the Holy Spirit to be with us and in us. To empower us to overflow the love and life of God into the world. Everywhere we go, we carry the invitation with us that anyone who accepts can experience this amazing, eternal life and love of God. I get into this little bit about the Trinity for this. Everything starts with how we see God. How do you see God? Do you see God as a mean principal who is looking for you, all the wrongs you're doing so he can punish you? Do you see a God who's got a scale of justice and hopefully you do enough good to outweigh the bad that maybe he'll be happy with you? Or do you see a God who from before all of creation was a God of love? A God of sharing that love. A God of inviting 
is creation into that love. A God that wants you to experience that to the full. And once you have, you can't hold it back to yourself. We share it. I'm going to invite the band back up right now, and I'm going to pray in a minute. I'm going to continue worshiping in song. And again, sorry about the side screens, but Ty will call out the songs if you want to Google them, if you need the lyrics. But as we close today, I want us to go into the Advent season as we approach Christmas, committed to seeing God properly so that we understand this God is not short on anything. He's a God that wants to give and give and give, and then he wants us to be shaped by that, to become people who give and give and give of ourselves so that people might know the amazing, generous God that we serve. As we close today, there are three ways. These are just three ways. There's many ways, but these are just three ways that gratitude leads us to embodied worship, real life ways of responding to God's grace. There are others for sure, but my hope is today that that we can get the image of overflowing thankfulness in our heads. God is pouring. He has poured and he will continue to pour grace in my life and I want to pour out grace freely into others' lives. God has been so generous to me that I want to be generous to others. God has, has given me an invitation to be by his side at a celebration that never ends and I want to invite everyone to join me. Let's be shaped into those kinds of people. Pray with me. God, we thank you. We thank you for this reminder today from your word about who you are. God, so much, um, so much of my life, I just had these visions of who you are that weren't accurate. And then it shaped me into weird superstitions and fears that just didn't make any sense. But your word over and over again paints you as a God who's just abundantly generous. A God who wants to give good gifts to your children. A God who, though we push you away over and over again, never stops pursuing us. A God who comes near. A God who invites. God, I I pray that we be shaped to become more like you. be shaped to become more like you as as people of grace, as people of generosity, and as people with the gospel on our lips, ready to be on mission for you, to tell others about the amazing things you've done for us, ready to tell others about all we've been forgiven, ready to tell others about the new life that we have because of you. So Lord, as we continue worshiping you this morning through these songs, I pray, Lord, that that would spill out into our lives. Make us these types of people who reflect your grace, your generosity, and the way you pursue us and never forsake us. We love you and we pray all this in Jesus' name.